My safe word will be whiskey. Sorry, Rod, what was that? Whiskey. Hey, how's it going? This is uh, Steve Shaw from the Lost in Translation Park Whiskey Society podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Sean. I'm Sean. <laughs> and uh, we, have, we have a really, really awesome, really awesome guest. Um, we're super grateful for uh, Louise, how, how do you pronounce your last name, Louise? I don't want to mess McGuan. that McGuan. McGuan. Okay. Louise McGuan. She's here from the Chapgate Whiskey Company. Uh, JJ Corey is her is her brand. Um, she is uh, native to Ireland. She's a world traveler. She's lived all over the place: New York, Paris, London, Singapore, as far as we know. Uh, she's worked a lot. Worked for a lot of big brands as well: Pinot uh, uh Diageo, Hennessy. Uh, and lately, or recently, you've used your experience in the industry to to found Chapelgate Whiskey Company and become. What we know is the first modern day bonder, which is which is a pretty exciting thing. So, welcome, welcome to the show, Louise. We're uh, really, really excited to have you. Thank you for having me. Thrilled. <laughs> this is the first time we're talking to Canada, so uh, I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, and uh, JJ Corey's like like we've kind of discussed has just hit the shelves here recently, so this is pretty exciting. So we can get some some info and some background story and that kind of thing out to out to our listeners and, and people of Western Canada. So. We like the most important part of this podcast is not necessarily talking to talking about the brands, but kind of to talk to the people behind the brands. And, and because I like from my perspective, it's you, you can find all, all kinds of information, basic information on the brands. And I, I really want to dive into the drinkers because there's always passionate whiskey drinkers behind every brand. And that's more exciting to me. So. Why don't you why don't you start out by kind of telling us your backstory, your background, and where like where did the love where did that love for whiskey start for you? Yeah, I think um I've worked in the the booze industry basically, the drinks industry my whole career. So I was born here on the farm in Ireland, but uh back in the nineties in Ireland you kind of there were no jobs, like you emigrated. That's what pretty much everybody did. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, still does to some degree. So I, I just left the country, went off to university, and very quickly out of university, fell into the drinks industry, and I ended up working for, um, yeah, big corporations essentially who had really interesting portfolios. Um, so I started off with kind of Moet Hennessy, and um, they obviously have own Hennessy Cognac. Yeah, that was kind of my first dive into like brown spirits. Okay, and. Um, then I ended up over at Pernod Ricard, who own all the Chivas brands, you know, the Scot- again, Scotch. Um, and then Diageo, who have all the Johnny Walker brands and a lot of really well-known like, Scotch brands. Very impressive portfolio, actually. yeah. Yeah, huge portfolio. But my first experience was with Maud Hennessy, and it was with that up at Glen Morangie. Oh, okay. And, um, yeah, it was Glen Morangie. We were lucky. We were very fortunate, lucky enough to go. To, be, to go up and have some kind of team away day or something like that in Scotland at Glenmorangie in the house. And um, this beautiful property up there of the original kind of lower layers who, who owned uh, Glenmorangie. And, and in that property, there's like a, um, there's a huge big kind of hallway 
and like the structure that has all of the hunting trophies of the original lairds of, of Glenmorangie. Oh, wow. And yeah, and so it's like it was built to kind of display those, and it's like exclusively like um, uh, he would have been kind of around when the British Empire was pretty um, prevalent. So he'd be out in Africa kind of shooting elephants and dodo and all kinds of extinct animals and stuff like that. They preserved it. Yeah. And we had a tasting of Glenmorangie in that environment. Wow, and that would have been special. It was really incredible. You know, I think a lot of a lot of whiskey very often, I think if, you, if you're introduced to whiskey in the right way, like in, a, in an incredible environment that's very historic and that has like, um, it's very kind of evocative. It can really draw you in. And I was probably only in my early 20s when that happened. And that really kind of got me, you know, that's when whiskey kind of really sort of stuck out to me. And then I was really fortunate to work in all of these amazing companies that have these fantastic portfolios of whiskey. And I was able to get very close because of the jobs that I was doing to the producers of the whiskey. So going to the distilleries a lot meeting the people that made it and really delving into the kind of um, their stories and, and the, the craftsmanship behind it. So for me, it, it started very, very early. It's always kind of been a part of my life. I, I, I pursued an appreciation of it very early on and kept it up. Yeah. And now that's what I do for a living. So like not, not very many people come, come out of university and get to get to be exposed to these to these big brands, especially Hennessy, was it just a matter of you just applied for a job and just happened to land it, or did what, did you know you know someone that helped you get there, or like how how did that how did that come to be? Do you know what? Like, I'm a believer. I, I'm I'm from a very small rural farming community in in the, in the west of Ireland. You yeah. know, I grew up in a household with um, my dad had fifty dairy cattle and has been a farmer his entire life, and everybody in my family has been a farmer back about 400 years and mm-hmm. um, we would have been the first people to go to, to, to college i was the first generation to go to university so okay. like we didn't have any contacts in anything so there was no calling up an uncle to ask you to get you a job there was none of that just that farm <laughs> farm work ethic <laughs> yeah you just if you want to like yeah you have a farm it's, it's, it's bang on like you know you, you grow up in a farm you work, you're working from the time you're three or four years old you're doing something yeah so my dad would have instilled a, a pretty significant work ethic into me. And also, you're stupid in that, like, when you're when you're 19 or 20, you don't know what you don't know, you know? And, and you're like, sure, I can do that. Uh, <laughs> that well, sometimes that sometimes being naive in that situation is what which can sometimes open doors for you because you don't know any better to open that door. Precisely. Yeah. You have no idea that you're underqualified or you have no idea. You yeah. don't even know what you're applying for, like, the only people I grew up with were like farmers. Like that was it. That was my my kind of world view. So when I came out of university, um, I, I just went off to America. I immigrated to America and I ended up working for um, a tech company originally. Like it was when they had just invented the internet. I'm that old, back <laughs> in the, the late 90s. And, um, and then I think literally somebody saw my resume on monster.com, which probably doesn't exist anymore. And they called me come in for an interview and I landed the interview for Moet Hennessy and that was it and there, there's a there's a theory about like luck like I believe in luck but I believe the harder that you work yes. the luckier you get and that's probably kind of 90% of my story I'd say 
Yeah, I've been I, in the right place at the right time, but I probably have worked my backside off to get there. Yeah, I, I can't agree more with you in that, in that scenario, honestly. I believe that you built and generate your own luck by working yeah. hard and putting yourself out there and and it clearly, it clearly did that. It's just, it's just funny because it's you go from small town farm girl to big city, big brand. So I imagine that was uh, like just that transition of culture even must be massive. Yeah, it worked for like a, a champagne company in New York. I literally went from living on a farm on the west coast of Ireland, <laughs> and then about four years later, working for a champagne company in New York. City. Of all things, <laughs> yeah, exactly. From farm to the yeah, the Robin elbows with Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> yeah. Like that was the era. That was the time period. It was that ridiculous time period. It was pre nine eleven and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, you're just young and you're like striking. You know, you, you don't like. I just did it, and that was it. I couldn't do it now. You know, I couldn't put myself in that position now. And I look back at it and I go. How did I do that? But it was a great life experience. And again, but very centered around working incredibly hard. Like it sounds really fun working for a champagne company in New York, but like you, you have to go out until four o'clock in the morning, but then be in the office at nine, you know? Yeah, I have no doubt. Awesome. Like it's, it, it was, it was sure a really fun job, with great perks, but like there was no messing around. It was work, work, work. But the spirit, the spirits business in general is a lot like it's not all the the glitz and glam that people people see from a media perspective. It's it it it's a grind. Like the, any ambassador, anybody in the business that I've met, they are exhausted because they grind every every hour of every day to bring attention to their brand. That's just what it's all about, right? Yeah, it is not for the faint of hearted, like, and, no. and um, it's, it's grind, 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 grind. And, like, it's it's imagine doing your day job, like, if you work in an office or something, and then and then having to go out all night long and, and then do your job, day job again kind of every day. <laughs> and it's it's how you balance that. Like, you can't, you know, I, you don't drink a lot. But if you're doing it right, like, in the drinks industry, you don't drink a lot because you can't. Because um, that's your job, so you have to kind of be very careful about it. Yeah, you got to so balance it, right? You got to balance. So it's a it's a tough in it's a very tough industry dealing with like restaurateurs and and bars and stuff like that. You know, they're they're those people are like some of the most switched on people you'll ever meet, mm-hmm. and um, they're very authentic as well. So it's a tough industry, and you really have to work hard to, to get out of it. And being born on a farm on the west coast of Ireland, that was fine for me. I had no issues with that. Back to where where kind of scotch was introduced to you, or single molar whiskey, or kind of that that genre of spirit was introduced to you. Obviously, it being exposed to Glenmorangie was a big part of it. So was was Glenmorangie one of your first first loves of whiskey? Was it one of your first favorite pours, or or where like where where did your heart naturally draw itself when you got into the to the whiskey spirit? You know what? I went straight into um, peated. Like, I went straight into kind of like Talisker territory. Awesome. There you go. Yeah, this is all very Scotch related now because I really wasn't drinking a lot of Irish whiskey because there wasn't a lot of it around back then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I went straight into Scotch territory and I I went into, um, literally, I just took a leap and I I was just very into peated whiskeys for a very long period of time. It's just a profile. I like smoke, like in general. Whether it's in food or in barbecue or in or in, or in whiskey, like I, I like, I do like smoke. It's a profile that works for me. 
So I was very much in the Talisker kind of camp for anything heavily heated for a long time after that. Well, ta- Talisker is a it's it's one that I generally recommend to introduce people to peated whiskey because it's it's one of the most approachable peated whiskeys I, I think around personally. It is. It is. It's a good. It's a, yeah. It's it's a really sort of good start. They have some sort of more heavily pieces kind of variants like within the range. But yeah. if you're going to go there, that's a kind of a good place to start. Absolutely. I just I I never understand why people don't like it. Like I just it's it's uh, you know taste is so subjective, isn't it? Like and I I would just drink and make pieces of whiskey all day if I had my choice. But <laughs> it's quite a niche thing still. Like a lot of people just can't can't just don't like it. Um, but if you get into it at all, it's an amazing kind of world to, to explore. Yeah, I almost yeah. see it like like cilantro. Some people just can't like cilantro, and it's it's almost similar with peated whiskey. It doesn't matter how much you, it doesn't matter how many bells and whistles or sweet casts or anything like that you put on it. They just no can't do it. <laughs> Give me all the peat and me none of that soapy. It tastes like soap to me, cilantro. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> no, there, there's entire Facebook groups devoted to anti-cilantro talk, which I don't agree with at all. I'll have all the peated whiskey and all the cilantro, please. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. See, I did a, I did the 23andMe uh, DNA thing, and it's actually one of the traits that they tell you, and it's it's genetic that you don't like it or you do like it. It's so strange. You know what's funny though? When you read into cilantro, they actually. They say that if you don't like cilantro, your palate is, you should have a more refined palate. Strongly disagree. A strong, strongly yes. Disagree. Agree to disagree and walk away from that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so now, obviously, you're labeled as a whiskey bond. And like us two personally, we know the, the backstory of bonding whiskey, especially in Ireland. Um, so can you just give us a brief explanation of what bonding is and how it relates to modern day and how you go about in the bonding process? Yeah, so, um, I'll just encapsulate this and like the the story of Irish whiskey is kind of synonymous with bonding. So Irish whiskey was more popular um, and uh, and outproduced and outreputation Scotch for a very long time, um, not in our lifetime, but like prior to our lifetime, yeah. uh, whiskey was pretty much Irish whiskey, and um, you know it was exported all over the world. It was incredibly popular, and that that all sort of changed at the turn of or not the last century, maybe the century before, like the late eighteen hundreds. Um, we would have had several hundred distilleries on the island of Ireland in the late 1800s. Uh, but by 1920, we only had three or four left. It was about a 50-year period where the entire industry just completely collapsed, essentially. Um, it was almost totally wiped out. And we went in, in the 60s at one point, we had one distillery left on the island and the government had to step in and save us. It was, it, we were in such dire circumstances. So we have this weird broken history of whiskey making in Ireland and whiskey bonding very specifically in the heyday in the in the, the the time when we were booming whiskey bonding was a very important part of the industry. Um whiskey bonders were very often kind of little mercantile owners in small towns like my town here of Kilrush 
And they were publicans. They sold ammunition. They sold bicycle parts. They sold musical instruments. Uh, they sold tea. They sold rum, sherry, port, wine, you know, whatever was kind of coming in um, from the Commonwealth, the, the British Empire at that time. And they also sold whiskey. And in the case of whiskey, what they used to do was they would take whatever kind of spent casks they had lying in, around their shops. They would send those casks off to local distilleries, because like I said, there was several hundred distilleries. So you probably had a local distillery. Uh-huh. That distillery would fill the cask up and then they'd bring it back to their shop to um, mature and more likely to blend because they, they would have been blending things quite young back then. Um, so if you were the local kind of very well-to-do merchant family here in my town of Kilrush in 1895, um, you would have had a housekeeper's blend. And somebody like J.J. Corey, who my brand is named after, he was a whiskey bonder in the town, would have blended that for you. And you probably went in and you got your own individual specialized blend once a week, we'll say. Or if there was a party on, you probably got a case, a couple of cases of it or whatever. And, and that practice was um, repeated all across the island in every small to mid-sized town. So if you drive around Ireland, um, if you're on, when we can travel again, if you're ever driving around, you will see that a lot of pubs, old pubs, have the term whiskey bonder very often written in gold letters above their door or in their windows. And that just indicated that they were buying in spirit and blending it themselves, essentially. So it was a very prominent part of the whiskey industry within Ireland for a very long time. Um, you know, it was the distilleries didn't really bother to brand and to blend themselves. They just kind of preferred to to produce and to let the bonders do the rest. And then it just died out. Uh, it became a victim to the that fifty year period where everything went very badly wrong for Irish whiskey. And by the time we only had a few distilleries left in the nineteen twenties. Those distilleries decided then to begin to brand and bottle and mature their own stocks, and they cut off the supply to the bonders. So the bonders then were no longer able to like slap a sticker on it saying JJ Corey. They were they were taking delivery instead of already blended things like Jemison or Powers or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's the history of it. It was a very important part of the Irish whiskey industry for a long time until it died out in the 1930s and we brought it back, essentially. Man, I can't believe how cool it would actually be to be able to go to a, a pub and get, and you could almost design your own whiskey, I'm sure, right? You could take a little bit of, a little bit of sherry influence, some ex-bourbon, some virgin oil, you could like make your own blends, essentially. That'd be kind of cool. It's it's so cool and like you know Johnny Walker of you know actual Johnny Walker thing yeah. was what did a similar thing and a lot of these guys it's really interesting a lot of these guys were tea blenders as well so tea back then was you know it came from India this is in Ireland or Scotland yeah. it came from all over the British Empire so tea would have been shipped in from um, all over the world and different regions and they would have all these different kind of regionalities of tea and they would blend. They would do their own individual blends of tea around flavor. Mm-hmm. And they then applied that knowledge to whiskey blending. And exactly as you're saying, if you're the wealthy landlord family in Russia in 1895 and the master, the lord, likes fruity whiskeys or peated whiskeys or cognac influence or Bordeaux influence, 
that's what you get. And you get like individualized bottles of that that nobody else has. And I thought that was just a really interesting lost part of heritage and concept. But yeah, it was it was really vibrant trade up until the 30s. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, now, obviously, this is the only one that we can get in Canada. Batch two of the game so far. So I'm going to pour myself a dram. Um, but we want to know... Uh, a nine in the morning dram. Or ten in the morning dram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 10.30 a.m. Um, when, you, when you go ahead and you have all these source casks, um, do you have like a favorite source to get them from? Do you prefer certain distilleries? Or like how does that go about where you choose what you're gonna bring in to your uh racket? Yeah, so this is really interesting. So when I founded the business, it was literally like twenty fifteen, right? And there was about four distilleries on the island producing all of the whiskey. Mm-hmm. So the first kind of batches of whiskey of casks, and I buy whiskey in casks, so I don't buy like tankers of you know, stuff. I buy living whiskey in casks. So I didn't have many options, obviously, in terms of source distillery. So I bought a lot of stock, a lot of old stock, the oldest stock that I could find at the time, and I brought it in. And to be very frank, I didn't really have a choice in the matter. You know, it's a couple of distilleries. It's like the the big sort of distilleries that are on the island. And But the great thing about that is that it was all phenomenal stuff. Like, those guys are brilliant at making whiskey. They make phenomenal whiskey, and I was lucky enough to get my hands on it. And these days, uh, so like I said, in 2015, there were about four distilleries on the island. Today, there are 38 distilleries on the island (laughs) in a period of five years that has happened. That's crazy. So it's a really good time to be a whiskey bonder. And my whole, you know, reason for being is to build a library of whiskey flavors from all over the country. And to pull flavors from that library to create our own unique expressions. Um, now the Gale batch two certainly is, is, is the earlier stock, the earlier older stocks, real stocks actually from those older kind of distilleries. But the future of whiskey bonding and, and the future of my business is being able to pull stocks from 30 or 40 distilleries around the island. So that's where things will get really important, interesting. But that will that won't happen for a long time. Um, the 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 kind of stock that I look for at this point now is um, for the Gale in particular is really kind of classically Irish red fruit flavors, big foresty fruits, peachy tones on the mauve side, um, and then lovely kind of citrus sort of notes and sometimes grassy notes on the um, the grain side. So we have lots of mature stocks ranging in age from zero to 30 years old. And it's the older stuff from the older distilleries that goes into the gale. So we're very kind of careful about how we, um, the stocks that we use for that in particular. So, um, no, I don't, so the really quick answer is I don't have a preference. I mean, right now in the way that we're building the business and and working with the industries that we're taking as much stock as we can to lay it down to mature it. In 10 years' time, I might have an answer for that. But right now, I'm just collecting, collecting, collecting. It's kind of what we do. It's just ours is bottled, the collections that we grow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. It's the same. <laughs> but 
just just to touch on that, like uh, on our website for Park Whiskey Society, I actually review this bottle of the Gale Batch Two, and uh, one of the things I ended it with was saying, like, to me, if you want to go to a shop here in Alberta and buy a bottle of typical quote unquote Irish whiskey, I point people to this. To me, it has that classic Irish whiskey taste. You're not going to get, you know, some weirdo farm, you know, nose on it, but it's, it's classic Irish whiskey. And, um, like I fell in love with this bottle and I fell in love with the company before we even were able to get it. Just the story behind it. And, uh, yeah, I'm so happy that we can get this and hopefully we can get a lot more. Yeah, I mean, it's really nice to hear you say that because that was the whole point of the Gale, right? Was that that was our first ever release. It's our flagship release. Um, it's really easy to get as a, when you found a whiskey business, right? It's really easy to get very quickly carried away with yourself and start to do mad experimental stuff, right? Because that's where the fun is. Yeah. But, but I felt a real kind of responsibility. I was like, the Gale is our flagship. What we're going to do now is come out the gate with a very recognizable Irish whiskey. We're not trying to be craft left field. We're not trying to be, you know, to break the mold here. We're just going to make a really brilliant, uh, in my opinion, like I want to make a really, really, really great, recognizably Irish whiskey, you know, and with the flavors that people kind of associate, those big fruity fruit bomb flavors that people associate with Irish whiskey. That's what we chase with the Gale. And we do lots of mad experimental stuff off the side. But for a long time, that was the only whiskey that we had on the market for a good, like, year, year and a half. That was it. It was just the Gale. And that was to prove to people, look, we're serious. Uh, we're serious about blending. We're serious about representing the category um, in the right kind of way. And then that will allow us to do all this mad experiment and stuff. But, yeah, it's lovely to hear that feedback from you because that was our intention day one. Well, and this, this is a great mix. This is a great mix of a, approach, approachable and complexity, honestly, I, I, I really, really enjoy the dry. And I, I just love the, I love the idea that you can, with your, with JJ Corey, you can, you can showcase the talent that exists in the distilling world of, I, of Ireland, and you can create your own unique expressions at the same time. So you're basically you're showcasing two different talents, and you're introducing to the world uh, all these kind of these endless capabilities of, of Irish whiskey. Yeah, and that's, you know, again, gosh, you guys are on us. That's like really important about, that's an important element of who we are. So as you're, like, we have some really cool projects now coming up in 2020 with tiny distilleries who are making incredible spirits. And we, you know, unless we're work, unless it's, you know, unless we're working with like a huge business, like where we source this, this very third party, we don't tend to put on the label who we're working with but for these really small guys we're going to put on the label you know we got this from glendry distillery and from thorman gate and, and whatever That's and awesome. we're going to like yeah and we're going to showcase you know the field that barley has grown in all the way up to, to where it was distilled etc because that's great like it's not just about jijikari it's about the industry as a whole like we're taking all this wonderful spirit and putting it together and and influencing where we can with, you know, with casts and maturation and the blend, etc. But as part of, uh, like, being a whiskey bonder is great because you, uh, you know, th those guys are not my competition. Like, they're my suppliers. 
And it's great for me to be able to showcase what they are doing so that I can showcase this is what goes into this whiskey. So it's a lovely position to be in um, to, to be able to build those relationships and showcase what Ireland is offering. Well, you, yeah, you become a partner in the industry rather than a competitor. And like with all the new distilleries coming up, I, I, I'm assuming you're going to get approached by these new distilleries because you've already you, you already have a drinker base. And they're going to want your help to help showcase them to get them out to the world. So you're, you're basically just, you're going to be pushing each other's agendas and, and only, only progressing the, the genre every day, every release, right? Yeah, I hope so. Like, I, you know, the, look, it's business at the end of the day, but I'd be very, my general approach to life is quite collaborative. You know, I think, um, I wouldn't, you know, everything I do is like all about sort of, there, there's power in there, there's power in in people working together rather than working against each other, and the booze industry is just great like that. You know, there's great people in the industry who have a passion for things, and anybody I see who has a passion for what they're doing legitimately, like I want to lift them up, and I want to be part of their story, and I want them to be part of my story. So, um, otherwise, why bother? You know, it, it's it's life's too short. Like if. The goal, my goal in life is to make a positive contribution to the Irish whiskey industry, um, you know, effectively, like that, that's legitimately kind of what gets me up in the morning. So if that means helping kind of the lads around me to kind of succeed, absolutely. If the Irish whiskey genre is not successful, then neither of you are successful, right? Like it's only, it takes everybody, as, as much as everybody's competing against each other, it takes you all to propel the to build the genre forward is right yeah it absolutely does we have yeah. to that, and remember and the reason for that is like so it's probably different in stocks or other industries i, I think the american craft distilling movement uh, is is a good example and maybe the canadian one as well like there's a pretty good movement in canada too like yeah. the small guys have to kind of work together for the good of of all at this juncture because sometimes your survival depends on it like you know, and it's the most basic stuff. Like, uh, you know, I would have been the f- one one of the first wave of independent producers in Ireland, like back in 2015. There's now a second wave, and I have. We, you know, we work together now all the time. We have WhatsApp groups and whatnot, whereby people are asking questions to me that I didn't have the answer to five years ago. But I am, I, I am more than happy to give the answer to around legislation and logistics and that kind of real boring nonsensical stuff that's so important yeah but you know i i i've already been through those issues and i'd rather five years ago if i had somebody i could call about those issues i would have called them but i didn't because i was one of the first people going through them nowadays um it's you know i i view it as a responsibility to be able to kind of bring people through and the more diverse the irish whiskey category the more powerful we will be you know we can't go back to the 1930s where there's three or four distilleries on the island we need the category to be diverse and interesting to succeed absolutely so the one question i have with that is um everybody talks about the whiskey bubble and what's going to happen in the next five to ten years um obviously like you said five years ireland's gone from five distillers to almost 40. uh is there enough and hopefully there is uh, an audience out there to support 40-ish distilleries to go forward? 
Yeah, there there is as long as people are focused on the export market. So, um, you know, there's there's what 250, 280 distilleries in Scotland. You know, probably more. There's there's about a there's sixty or seventy now in the UK. Like we're kind of in the midst of a craft distillation boom globally. Um, thirty eight distilleries is nothing in Ireland. Like it's, it's zero. The domestic market cannot support that. The domestic market doesn't drink enough to, to, to support that. As long as everybody looks outside our own shores, of course, yeah, um, there's absolutely room for that. You know, it's, it's like, uh, it's a brand new industry in many ways in, in that, like, we had a, a monopoly for a long time, then we had a duopoly, and now we have all these new players. So you're, you're going to see attrition over the years and people come and go. But I wouldn't say, I'd say 38 distilleries on the island of Ireland is absolutely doable because they're all different scales. And as a bonder, I want as many distilleries on the island as possible so that I can source as many kinds of spirits as possible. So well, I'm all for it. Yeah, it's more exciting from your standpoint than anyone's. Yeah. <laughs> so, and what you see in the, honestly, from my, the, like the way I think about it is I just, I love it because it's going to keep, continue to keep the big brands honest in their, in their core range releases and, and the expressions that they're creating because we're now exposing all, all the talents that the world have to bring. And you're seeing it in, in the U S market right now as these bigger, bigger brands like, like Buffalo Trace and, and Wild Turkey and stuff like that. Like, yes, they're popular. They release popular brands, but at the same time, it's slowly, slowly coming down as the craft distillery market comes up because people are realizing that these, all these craft distillers have the capability of producing such amazing whiskey. And so it's going to keep it's going to keep the price point down a little bit. I think it's just going to keep the market honest all the way across the board. That, that's what excites me the most about it. Yeah, I mean, you look at Irish whiskey. Like, how much innovation was there in Irish whiskey until about 2015, 2016? Like, zero, none that you heard right? about. Yeah, yeah, no, nothing. A whole bit fat, nothing, right? And um, and now you're seeing it from the big guys. And listen, it's not it's not me. It's just the movement. It's the it's the whole. That, that whole piece of that, like, people want to drink exciting and interesting. And the modern whiskey drinker, you know, wants new and it wants different and it wants different flavor profiles. And I, I just think it's a natural evolution of the category. And any time a craft scene comes in, you saw it in beer years ago before you saw it in whiskey, you yeah. know. Um, you guys don't really have a gin thing going on over there, but we've seen that in gin over in Europe. Like... Any category that has small independent players come in who are doing, who are breaking, not breaking rules, but like pushing boundaries, um, it tends to push the boundaries uh, for the, the, the big guys as well. And that's good, you know, because they have the might and the power to introduce people to whatever it is, pot still or peated malt or Irish peated malt or whatever it is. And we need that. You know, they're not our enemy. They're... They open doors for us and they introduce consumers to, to Irish whiskey that may otherwise not know about it, you know? And I don't have enough budget to, to, to yeah. do that. I need, I need big guys to do that for us. Yeah, yeah it's, it's funny because in, especially like our local provincial whiskey scene, like a lot of people, they'll poke fun at me because I'm the Irish guy, <laughs> but I, I will die on that sword day in, day out. And, um, you know, I, I, I take pride in it as well. People will come to me and ask me for, you know, advice on what to get, what if, if they're looking for a certain profile. And, uh, I love doing it. And, 
um, like you, we've already discussed offline, but we're speaking with Barry Chandler today as well. And what he's doing in the U.S., I, I love it. And I like, I've spoken with him off on Instagram, whatever. And, uh, I was lucky enough to kind of scan my way into getting the story, which is a unique bottling that you did for him for his Irish whiskey group of America. Okay, can I just tell you how lucky you are with that? Because that's like really coveted. And also, by <laughs> the way, it's phenomenal. Like, I personally, that was a lockdown blend, I think. So I personally blended that. Um, like what, And I mean, by like the buckets and the, the whole thing, like, uh, it's a really great whiskey, actually. It has a little, it has a top dressing of 1991 in it and everything. It's like really good. Wow. Irish whiskey is dominated by the very big brands. I think probably certainly in America and also in Canada. Yeah. Um, so you're you're really now only starting to see the kind of infiltration of, of smaller brands. So like we're available in Western Canada, for example, but it's really hard to get a listing on the LCBO because the, the, the price point that they, they look for is bananas. And it's really hard as a really small producer you can't sell whiskey for less than you make it for. And you're making it at small, a small scale. So it's yeah. really hard to make, to, to do that. Um, and then in America, I think that the laws are really weird. And this is where the grassroots becomes really important. Like, you know, Barry has a community of about 6,000 Facebook followers of that. Their, their vibe is Irish whiskey. That's their vibe. And that's all they talk about. And that's all they deal with. And, um, that's a really powerful group of grassroots consumers who have very particular interests in Irish whiskey and want to learn about more than maybe what's available at the local total wine. And Barry does a really good job in doing that. Like he, he rallies people and there's an educational piece in there and there's like a world opening piece. And it's the same with this, like doing this podcast, like having this opportunity to speak about what we do at an in-depth level. Is so valuable because you won't be seeing an ad from JJ Curry in a newspaper or a magazine or on TV anytime soon. So this sort of like grassroots whiskey enthusiast kind of information dissemination is where it's at, mm-hmm. and wouldn't have been possible, you know, ten years ago. Yeah, what it really takes it really takes someone like like people like Barry Chandler and and like you said, this podcast and stuff to to break down those those walls of pretentiousness that kind of exist in in the whiskey world so that so that people can like stop going to the store and just buying that 12 year McCallum because that's all they know or trust and start adventuring off into into what the whiskey world actually has to offer and it's it's exciting it's exciting to hear more and more people talking about whiskey because there's so much cool information out there and so much more to learn and from my standpoint I'm, I've been drinking whiskey for a long time so this is this is probably the coolest time period that I've witness since i started drinking whiskey back in the late 90s yeah i think so and and, you know i'll tell you what the best thing about it is that like as a whiskey maker right and that's how i would describe what what i do for a living basically like you know i i i i I bring a lot of people together to make amazing whiskey and i do a lot of things to make that happen but like i really care about it right and i really like i give a damn it's true passion behind it yeah, and the great thing is, is that the community of whisker makers, whiskey makers that I know and am acquainted with, and who I speak to, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, are all in the same boat. Like they, it's not like making widgets, right? It's, it's if you if you're going to make whiskey, it's not exclusively a commercial thing. You're not sitting there going, okay, I need to make this bottle of whiskey, and it has to cost this, and it has to cost that. 
that's not where you start. You start to, you're like, I want to make a whiskey that tastes like blah, 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 blah. That's where you start. And people who are making whiskey for, for the love of it and for the joy of it um, think that way. And there's something really special about that because it's a business at the end of the day. But like, I would never put out a whiskey that I thought was bad, even though I could make a lot of money out of it. I fundamentally just wouldn't do it. And um, most people in the industry, and you can see them a mile off, you know, we're, we all kind of hang out together and we know each other. Like 99% of, the, of people in the whiskey industry who are making whiskey think that way. And I bet you couldn't say the same for the fashion industry, for example. You know, it's different. And oh, for sure. there's something lovely about that. It's community driven. We care about you guys. We care about the people who care about us. We care about the, the community of drinkers. It's this big community that we're all involved in. And that's really powerful. Yeah, it's super powerful. Um, do you, I, I meant to ask this when we we're talking about the, about the cast selection, that kind of thing. Do you, do you use a, is there a broker, like a common broker that, that people use, or do you just deal straight with distilleries and that's your plan going forward kind of thing? Oh, I go straight. Yeah, I, I figured as much. Brokers. Yeah, yeah. I don't do brokers for, 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 uh, dry cap, for like, you know, cast, yeah. st- like emptied cast stock or for distilleries. Occasionally, I'll use for new make anyway. Occasionally, a broker will kind of come around and go, Oh, I have a parcel of like 20 year old whiskey. Do you want to buy it? And you say, Yes, if that if you can afford it and it comes up. Yeah. It's very rare at the moment. Yeah. But for all the new guys, that being a whiskey bonder is about relationships, you know, calling people up, saying hello, visiting the distillery, having a chat, helping them out. You know, it's a, it's a community, again, it's a community thing, but like, yeah, no, I don't. It's not an anonymous business. It's like personal relationships. Awesome. That's really cool. So how has COVID affected your business this year? Like, we know that you can go and visit the farm in the warehouse and tasting room that you guys just uh, built or renovated. Um and if that's not happening, is there any other major effects that COVID has had this year? So we did 124 euros of revenue in March this year, maybe end of March, I want to say. Oh, jeez. Right? That's... Imagine. And I have, we, there's five of us who have to get paid at the end of the month. And, um, I thought that we, I, I didn't think that we were dead, right? I just thought, OMG, um, uh, what are we going to do? So I'm still, re- you know, I'm still really, everybody is still reading from it, right? Yeah. I think, but like as a business owner, as a whiskey owner, I just thought that it was the end of the world, right? And uh, everything was finished. We're fortunate enough to have established export markets, um, that there's, you know, there, there's, they're established and they're, we have a reach market in America, a reach market in Canada. Like the Canadian shipment was like delayed by four months, you know, for as a result of COVID kind of thing. But we opened up a number of other markets and things like that. Um, we were not able to ship in ca- empty casts. We had a lot of empty casts for our cast, our wood program that were supposed to kind of come in, um, in uh, April. And they've all been delayed, and like they're, they're probably they'll probably come in now January, February, I think. Um, Almost a year. Ports, yeah, yeah. Like the port issues have been really bad. Like there's a shortage of container ships and all yeah. sorts of stuff. That's been really weird. So our wood program has been kicked on by one year, 
I, we were about to get a very heavily involved in a big sherry program, like a lot of sherry casts for our younger stocks and stuff like that. That got knocked back a year. And we have a bunch of tequila casts that were coming from Mexico that got knocked and everything. So that's been, that production piece has been a bit of a blip. Um, but overall, like, I think that we just went online, you know, we just were like, okay, there's no travel anymore. So you just go online and you're doing, you know, tastings constantly all the time and talking to your customers that way. It's like everybody else you just ends up going on the internet and things like that. You adapt. So, yeah, like we were, we had expected this year to expand significantly in lots of, lots of markets. We didn't, but we'll, we're okay. Like we're still standing. Nobody got laid off. Nobody, you know, every, we kept everybody on the whole time. We came out with a bunch of new whiskeys and stuff like that. We did a we we did a mad thing called a crowdsource blend where we in June where we sent a load of we we invited like two hundred people to get involved in choosing a blend. Um, we sent them all samples out and then we did an online tasting and then we had them choose exactly what blend we were going to bottle and we ended up bottling it at cast strength and regular strength. So that was an insane project that would never have happened if it wasn't for COVID. But we'd probably do it again next year because it was so interesting. That's pretty um, So it just made us turn everything on its head and work harder. Nobody's had a holiday. Uh, personally, I cannot wait for Christmas Eve because I'm turning off my computer for two weeks. Um, <laughs> but it's been it's been okay. Like It, it could have been worse is all I have to say. Whatever doesn't Honestly. kill you makes you stronger kind of thing, right? Just got to persevere and figure, yeah, figure yeah. it out as you go. I think nobody, nobody could prepare for for 2020 the way it's gone so yeah. and you just yeah like like we mentioned we just hope that everybody pulls out strong and strong enough to keep keep living and go from there but like in the whiskey in the whiskey world losing a year of of like not having your cash or having your cash shipment go back a year losing a year in the whiskey world of finishing and maturing and that kind of thing is that's that's a huge loss yeah it's a total bummer but yeah. i i but then this like parcel of twenty year old whiskey came online and I bought that and now I have which I'd never seen before. I'd never seen that come on the market before. So I now have this like huge big parcel of twenty year old whiskey that I have a plan for. So it's kind of like swings and roundabouts, you know. Um, we, just opportunities kind of present themselves and and you pivot and do whatever you have to do, basically, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I have this beautiful stock now of 2001 and 2000 that are, I have a small malt and I have some good plans for that. Um, which again involve casks. We're going to kind of do like a Solera system. It's going to be really interesting. So okay. we never had the concept of doing that before COVID and it just, it just kind of presented itself. So I won't say it's been a, I, I, I don't want to say it's been a positive year for us. Like ask me in a year. But like it's just made everything made us think in different ways, and and opportunities have presented themselves. That like it's it's been it's been an experience as it has for everybody. Well, you're gonna have Sean salivating now until that 2000 2001 comes out. So <laughs> already, I'm already, I'm. <laughs> yeah. So Louise, um, obviously that parcel that came up, that's part of your future plans. What's your like five to ten year? goal for JJ Corey, um, obviously the expansion and getting more to market. Um, and like this year has proven you've done some really cool small scale experiments. Um, now the Solera concept that you're talking about, 
do you have anything kind of mid to long term, 10 year goals for JJ Corey? Yeah, like, so we're, we're trying to kind of even out our portfolio. So we've got the Gale as our, like, flagship blend. We also have the Hansen, which is a blended grain from two different series, um, Cooley and GND. It's like the first blended grain on the market of Irish. And we've added that to the portfolio this year, and that's going to be a mainstay in the portfolio. Um, and then we have, like, a single malt called the Flintlock, which is also a mainstay. And, you know, we have the Gale, the Flintlock, the Hansen, I want to just like build those as our permanent mainstay, mainstay portfolio long term. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us, the exciting thing about being a whiskey bonder is doing all of that experimental stuff kind of around, um, around, around that kind of core portfolio. And, uh, we, I want to build a new rack house here on the farm. We have this big quarry on the farm. And like, I'm, my plan is to kind of build a rack house using three kind of stone walls of the quarry on the farm that allows us just to kind of expand a bit. And um, just like radical kind of simplicity in terms of experimentation. Like I think um, our whole, my whole thing is source really good quality whiskey. To your point earlier, work with really interesting distilleries around the island and showcase kind of what they're doing and bring that to the world. That's really going to be our long-term vibe. Like the the more complex and interesting and varied our flavor library is, that's when we'll have an actual whiskey bonding business, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. So in ten years' time, I would like to have whiskey from you know at least thirty-five distilleries around the island of Ireland at a, at a state that is mature, and we're blending it and kind of putting it out there. That's the goal: is to build kind of like the Alexandria Library of um, of Irish whiskey. So are you like, are you kind of, do you, are you pre-planning the creativity behind some of these expressions or are you just kind of what, what can I source now? And then the creativity is inspired by what you have in stock or is it kind of both? It's, it's both. So you can't really like whiskey's a weird industry, you know, um, it's very kind of commodity driven on the cask sourcing side and the whiskey sourcing side. Yeah, so you sure. can look about three years in advance, right? Mm-hmm. It's really, in my opinion, you can look about three years in advance and then you kind of have to reassess. So that Solera system, for example, is a really cool idea that we're working on. We're, we might bring in some guest blenders as well in the future to work with and, and do some interesting stuff. So, um, yeah, we have like a three year kind of idea of what we're going to do, but then, COVID, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, back to COVID. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a great plan this year. It was really well thought out. I bet I bet you did. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. So with the farm and obviously if you do expand and build another rack house, um, when visitors are allowed, what what can they expect when they come for a visit? The family farm. It's beautiful. And it's kind of surrounded on one side by the Atlantic Ocean and the other side by the Shannon Estuary. And there are cows here. There is my horse, JJ. And we have like, um, the, the tasting barn is actually, uh, is from, it's a pre-famine building. It was the original dwelling on the farm. Oh, cool. And, um, really tight, like a tiny little Irish cottage, basically. And we just renovated it. So it's, it's a really kind of unique experience. Like you go to the tasting barn, we'll talk about Irish whiskey bonding and all the rest. And then we'll go into the rack house. And we'll taste from a couple of casks, have a look around, 
um, go into the blending room, talk about the blending process, and then finish with the tasting. It's very small scale, guys. You know, it's 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 not like a big old distillery tour. It's pretty intimate. I think. <laughs> yeah. It's it's pretty intimate. And like my cousin does the tours. You know, she <laughs> she was hired this year to do that. So it's very it, it's a pretty unique experience, I think, in terms of Irish whiskey. You're not going to see a shiny copper pot still because you don't have one. But you will see, you know, whiskeys from kind of all over the country and get to taste them and things like that. So it's a very small scale, but uh, bespoke kind of experience. Uh, and everybody that's done it kind of has enjoyed it very much. So you're you're more than welcome when things go open up. The airport is currently closed, lads. I have to tell you. But <laughs> like straight up closed? Straight up closed. <laughs> Close. Jeez. Close. Our, ours aren't closed. It kind of, they're just, there's not much going in and out, but, uh, like yeah. we're, we're still, we're flying, like we're going to fly down, uh, down south to the U.S. after Christmas because my family's from down, or my wife's family's from down there, but wow, close. So nobody's in and out. Not in Shannon, no. We're, we're very near Shannon Airport. Yeah. There used to be a direct flight from Toronto, I think. But you can always get in via London or via Dublin. Yeah, yeah, for but sure. we're like 25 minutes from Shannon Airport. It's crazy. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's nuts. So at, at the distillery, are you going to kind of honor the, the heritage of bonding and give people the opportunity to, to take home their little unique <laughs> blends and stuff like that like they used to do in the bars? In the pubs? We do, yeah. We, yeah. Have, we have that. We, we do have that option. If you want to do a blending session, you can do that and get your own little bonders blend. That's cool. People. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be really hey, fun. Hey, Steve. As soon as COVID's done, we're going to Ireland. Yeah. You guys are very welcome. Just pop me a note. You're welcome anytime. We just put a tent up on the farm somewhere, and we'll just pick some good weather days. <laughs> oh, loads of room. We we have bell tents here on the farm. You can stay in those. It's fine. We have accommodation galore in the summertime. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I'm okay roughing it a bit. Yeah. So Louise, I noticed like obviously I followed you for a few years on Instagram and through your posts and stories. Um, I noticed last year around this time you were going crazy and traveling everywhere all the time. Like I think, I forget what month it was, but you said you spent two nights in Ireland out of the whole month. Um, has COVID brought a reprieve from traveling so much? And now that it's 10 months in, are you looking forward to traveling again? Um, yeah, COVID has obviously 100% brought a repeat, yeah. reprieve, definitely. There's nowhere to go. You can't go anywhere anyway. Um, it's been... You know, my, my expectation when I did, when I founded the business was that I just figured, you, you know, we're a founder, I'm a, it's a founder led brand. Like I go out there and I tell the story and all the rest of it. So like, that's my job. Like that's the expectation. That's what I do. And not doing it has been fine. It's great not to be traveling like the lunatic. Like we got, I had the opportunity to really get back to basics on the business. You know, we've hired a couple of people now. It's not just me. So we have an inventory system and all these boring things that you don't want to deal with after a 10-hour flight somewhere like you can deal with. So that's been really good. And yes, I'm absolutely looking at looking. I'm really looking forward to getting back out in the world. But I don't think it's going to be soon. I think it'll be like September of next year, maybe, yeah. depending on what happens. But it has, I, I have appreciated, you know, I, I have appreciated this time to be here on the farm and to just get back to basics. Um, it's been a good reprieve 
person personally for me and I think for the business as well. So I really can't complain. But yeah, I'm dying to get back out to go to whiskey shows and to meet everybody and to say hello. Like I do, I just hope that the future of whiskey is not Zoom calls. You know, I think oh, it's gonna be a part of it. It's gonna be a re- it's gonna be a part of it. It's here to stay. For but sure. I don't want it to be just that. No, I, yeah, I agree with you there. And it, lots, I almost hate hearing people say this is, this is the new normal. This is the new, it's like, no, I refuse to accept that. This is not the new normal. We will enjoy whiskey in person in festivals and wherever, honestly, at some point. It's just, let's just get through this and then normal will be back. No new normal here. <laughs> no, I, I think we're all professional Zoomers now. It'll be a part of what we do. But by God, I'm not spending the rest of my life doing this. Like, you know, Zooms are permanent yeah. Zooms. You know yourselves. We're all tired of it. We want to talk to each other. We yes. want to, like, you know, interact and slap somebody in the back and all the rest of it. Using using Zoom for business efficiencies is one thing, but, yeah, enjoy, enjoying whiskey is meant to be done in person. Exactly. Yeah. I agree. So what uh, what's what's in store for us out here in Western Canada? What can we... And by the way, we don't really like the LCBO either. So if you could just ship everything out west, <laughs> the Easterners buy they buy from us anyways, so it doesn't really matter. But what uh, what can we what can we expect? What's the next product we can expect in Alberta after this after the this lovely gale? Um, I, I'm hoping you you'll get you'll certainly get the Hanson, which is our green, our blended green, yep. and then eventually the Fitlock as well, the single malt, you know, the, on on the core side. So, like, um, yeah, our expansion in Canada like, was really in the middle of COVID. Like, you know, we had great plans to, to yeah. really get in there and get involved in the market and everything and then COVID. So we haven't properly really dug in. We have a great partner over there called Crush Imports who are, are brilliant. Crush, yeah. They're brilliant. Um, but we just haven't had the time to sort of get, not at the time, we just haven't had the opportunity really to get really stuck in. But we do have plans in 2020 to get more embedded. You know, when we go into a market, our our goal is usually to talk to you guys, you know, and, and get involved in the local whiskey community and, and ask your opinions on things and stuff like that. So hopefully in 2020, you'll see more of that from us. Um, we'll certainly get our core range. Um, and then hopefully in the future, there'll be a Bonders blend, especially for Canada, kind of down the road. That's what we do. Yeah, I was going to um, say, is there an opportunity to do like a, a limited release, like for our market specifically? Oh, 100%. Okay. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the thing about being a modern whiskey bonder is that we've taken that concept of making it for the local family and making a, an individual blend for them. And we've made that kind of global. So we'd love to work with, with uh, somebody in Canada on that. We normally do with an on-premise account, like a bar or a restaurant or something like that. But obviously that's strange at the moment. So we'll just have to see what happens on the, um, on, on, on that sort of pandemic front and and take it from there but you've got the gale hopefully the hansel will be incoming soon and then swiftly followed by fentanyl nice to speak that's uh that's and pretty i exciting. will be sure to uh share my i have the full bottle and six minis of the the story and uh my partner here is also going to be the one bringing it home from the states yeah so. i'm going down there to bring it back so i'm the mule so Louise, we we really really appreciate you having on, and we'll we're gonna we always like to say kind of leave leave the show off with a nice message, and uh, uh, we considered our parting glass moment because of the the heritage behind 
behind the uh, folk song. So, uh, Sean, if you want to want to take that off. Yeah, I again like to thank you for coming on, um, spending an hour with you know a new startup podcast. Um, you know, giving us more information about Irish whiskey and the whole process that you have brought back to the forefront. Um, he is, you know, a playbearer of Irish whiskey. I will be walking the billboard as long as I can be. And yeah, we just want to say thank you and we look forward to drinking more JJ Corey in the future. Absolutely. If, like, if I can add, it's. I just I want I want these kind of experiences and these kind of interviews with with people like yourself, Luis, to to stand as um, to stand as inspiration for whiskey drinkers to to take that chance and and go for go, grab grab for something new on the shelf because the there's so many so many interesting expressions out there beyond the core ranges of 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 the big distilleries and and there's so much passion behind whiskey. That, that a lot of people don't aren't exposed to, and and Louise, you're you're a perfect perfect example of that. So we definitely we thank you very very much for joining us, and and I hope when when these other core ranges that you're talking about uh, when they hit the market out here, I'd love to have you on to chat about those too, and and keep this keep this going as a as a as a good relationship, and maybe maybe there'll be some involvement in some sort of cool exclusive release out here that that we can somehow be a part of or, or something like that. I know that would make Sean's heart grow about 10 sizes bigger than it already is. So. <laughs> well, I, I would love that. Like I, I have to say like the, the it's, you know, businesses like ours, whiskey businesses like ours depend on whiskey communities. You know, you're the people that we make whiskey for. Uh, you're the people that get the word out. So um, you're part of our community as whiskey makers as well. So, Thank you so much for giving me the airtime. Like I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm super excited that we're available in Canada, and hopefully we can visit some person next time. Yes, Who knows? that would be cool. Uh, but but thank you so much. And yes, let's let's talk about a Bonders blend. We can talk about that. Yes, that's what I went to. That'll, that'll make that'll make Steve's heart grow as well. <laughs> yeah, I just love the idea of being involved in whatever whatever we can because that's. Yeah, but that's pretty cool. So, it's all right. super fun. It's a very fun thing to do. Actually, I love doing that. Yeah, I oh. I can only imagine. So, all right. Well, thank you very much, Luis, and we we cheers you, and uh, we hope for continued success for for Chapel Gate Whiskey and JJ Corey. And you'll you can rely on us to definitely push your product and and uh, recommend it to everyone you can. Oh, thanks, guys. I really do appreciate it. And um, thanks, William. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Yes. No, thank you. Cheers. Cheers.